All right, glad you're with us. We're loaded up with news today. I mean, loaded up. We got a lot. Oh, big time. Deep state news that we are going to go over with a fine tooth comb. Um, And this is big news. And I want you to pay very close attention. And this is probably the beginning of many things to come. I would be shocked. Now, I don't know what's going to happen because I, I don't know. I'm not in charge of whether or not grand juries are put together. I'm not in charge of whether or not um, that people think it's met the criminal standard. I, I just know if I did it or if any of you in this audience did it, that we'd be in deep, deep trouble. None of you would get away with what Hillary Clinton did. I'm telling you all right now. And if you don't believe me, remember, Linda, when this caused such a controversy, when I said, yeah, go ahead, go out there and you, you try that. Good luck to you. You know, you delete your subpoenaed emails, you delete, you acid wash your hard drive, you you beat up your devices with hammers and remove SIM cards all after a subpoena. Good luck to you. You go try that. And the sad part is Hillary is making fun of it today while in Europe What'd at an say? art exhibit. She's like, oh, look, I found my my emails in this art exhibit. Oh, well, let's alert the GOP. And she's putting all this stuff on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, is this is funny to you? I'm like, we have people in jail for far, far less things. and. You think this is funny? This is so funny. You're going to tweet about it? That's nice. I'm just uh, chilling in Cedar Rapids. Well, the problem, I guess there's a recent study. I don't let go when there's an injustice. They say, well, Hannity mentioned Hillary's name. Did you see that? Some, I don't know, the Media Matters people. It kind of cracked me up. Hannity archives. They went through like three years of Hannity. How many times do you mention Hillary? I'm like, well, I really, I messed up because I, be, I should be on this every day. Because no other American would ever get away with what she's gotten away with so far. But to me, the premeditated fraud committed against the court. Yeah, those FISA warrants, the evidence is incontrovertible, overwhelming, compelling. Anything less than a conclusion that they were obtained illegally would shock me. If they were obtained illegally, that means people probably committed illegal acts. Uh, I know that if any of us ever lied to a, if we were warned, we're about to go before a judge and on multiple, Greg Jarrett's counted four. I think I have two or three instances where I know for a fact that I remember it gets a little hard and complicated sometimes to keep this all straight. But the number of times the DOJ was warned about and the FBI was warned that the dossier was unverified and Steele had an agenda and Hillary paid for it, the Russian dossier, which... Nobody in the media seems to care. They only care about Russian interference if it's Donald Trump. Amazing the opposite thing happened, and they just ignore the biggest abuse of power scandal in history. That's why they are a mob, and that's why they are dishonest, and the American people now know know it. If we were wrong as much as them, I can promise you, promise you, my I, I would not be on the air today. They would have gone for me in every step of the way. How many times, Linda, do you know of instances where we had a story and we held back, even though we did have verification, authentic, you know, two sourcing and more. And we just waited and waited for the right time to make sure we got everything right. I'm also concerned that I'm, you know, I'm hearing these stories that there might be a dump of all these documents at once, which I don't think the American people could possibly absorb. I don't know why they don't. You know, put out, okay, on this, this is what you need to know. If you want to pay attention to it, pay attention to it. But anyway, so what's happening today is the Justice Department is now rejected. This is big. 
appeals by the attorneys for the fired interim FBI director, the deputy FBI director under James Comey, Andrew McCabe, who had urged the Department of Justice to refrain from seeking an indictment against him for allegedly lying to internal investigators over a disclosure of information to a reporter back in late 2016. According to ABC News, source close to McCabe's legal team said they received the following email from the Justice Department Thursday. It read, the department rejected your appeal of the United States Attorney's Office decision in this manner. Any further inquiries should be directed to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Another source familiar with the matter confirms the appeal was rejected. Now, that would mean that if there is a grand jury, sources tell me there likely is, convened in Washington, D.C., that this will be brought up before the grand jury. Yet before a grand jury, not good because you don't ever get to hear the defense's side in fairness to McCabe. It's just the way the system works. I don't like that system, but that's the way the system is. You know, defense doesn't get to say anything. Just whether or not there's enough cause to issue an indictment. That's all you get out of that. And usually that is a huge upper hand for prosecutors. Hence the phrase, you can indict a ham sandwich. You can. It's absolutely true. And if you have prosecutorial abuse, oh, let's say like Andrew Weissman, that guy, or in the in the General Flynn case, which I am so glad Sidney Powell, oh, I wish I could spend as much. I wish I could spend a a show just reading the motion she's filing. They're devastating. It's just been it's been a brutal week for the deep state. And I mean, she is all over them for what is withholding exculpatory evidence and prosecutorial misconduct. Now, the case should be thrown out for prosecutorial misconduct. Now, the judge in that case is actually investigating. Yeah. Prosecutorial misconduct. But anyway, so McCabe, that basically, let me let me spell it out. That paves the way for McCabe to be indicted, maybe even as early as next week. Just telling you how the system works. Now, I will say, and I'm going to be fair here, because anybody that serves their country in the FBI, I want to be super, super sure. Now, we read the IG report. It was damning. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was breathtaking, to be honest, and frankly, worse on Comey. How Comey has skated through all of this so far has been a miracle. If he skates through the IG report on FISA, uh, we might as well just give up. That means that there's two justice systems, one for them and the powerful and the mighty and the Hillary's and the Comey's of the world and one for the rest of us. The little people, I guess, as, as some people say. Anyway, um, and Sidney Powell's case. Now, if she gets her way. We're going to get a treasure trove of these Russian hoax documents, evidence that will expose a lot of this deep state corruption throughout the highest levels of the Justice Department and the FBI. That would then be made public very soon. And from the looks of Sidney Powell's list, the material could be more explosive than any other document release we've seen on the Russiagate case in the three long years since the conspiracy and the hoax began because the partial list of materials that Powell is looking for. Now, I do have a little bit of faith in Judge Emmett Sullivan. He was the guy that was about to expose all the prosecutorial abuse against Senator Ted Stevens, Eric Holder then. Holder pulled out the case because he knew he was going to lose because there was prosecutorial abuse. That man was railroaded. 
But by the time they got to the justice, well, it's too late. He was out as senator of Alaska. Great system of justice, right? Can't happen in America. Ray Donovan, where do I go to get my good name back? Anyway, the potentially exonerating records being sought by Powell touch on everything from the text messages between Strzok and Page to possible uh, FISA surveillance of Flynn. And that would include FBI interview notes, conversations between FBI agents and Flynn uh, to questions about the mysterious figures, about Stefan Halper and Joseph uh, Mifsud, the professor. And then, of course, specifically, uh, Sidney Powell wants access to the quote. And there's a lot. Let me tell you, this is not by accident what they're asking here. This is not my first rodeo. When you read through this. They wouldn't know what they're asking for. The two-page electronic communication that allegedly launched the Trump-Russia investigation in July of 2016. The unredacted memos on the scope of Mueller's investigation. A letter from the British Embassy to Trump's incoming national security team that allegedly disavowed British ex-spy Christopher Steele any work the opposition research firm Fusion GPS did on Flynn, any Flynn-related documents from the DOJ official Bruce Orr and his wife and Fusion GPS contractor Nellie Orr, anything related to former FBI Director Comey or former Director of Intel- National Intelligence Clapper going after Flynn, the unredacted interview notes and any notes of recordings from the seven secretive meetings, including on planning sessions among former FBI Director Andrew McCabe and other FBI officials about interviewing Flynn in January 2017. That's when McCabe said, no, you don't need a lawyer. Well, he knew damn well he needed a lawyer. And just that was when Comey bragged. I just I put aside all procedure, took advantage of the chaos. I wouldn't do that under Obama or Bush. Wow. That's how we treat 33 year veterans of this country. Wow. Amazing. Uh, Anyway, the unredacted interview notes, et cetera, et cetera, interviewing Flynn, FBI notes showing Uh, Former acting attorney general Yates allegedly saying a surprise interview of Flynn would be problematic. Wow. James Comey's full interview with the special counsel's office communications within the DOJ's foreign agents registration act related to Flynn leaks from government officials to the media about Flynn. And here's what Sidney Powell told Judge Sullivan. The prosecution, this prosecution and the circumstances surrounding it are unprecedented. The only way to achieve justice in this case is to provide transparency and the full disclosure of all information relevant to the defense of Mr. Flynn, which, by the way, they have been denying, which he deserves by law. The government has until September the 24th to respond to the motion for the production of Brady material things she mentioned, and a hearing on that issue is scheduled for October 31st. Sentencing memos from the prosecution and defense are due in early December, and the judge set a tentative date for the hearing of sentencing in December 18. And Sidney Powell says, nah, I don't, I'm not going to pull it back on the plea deal now, or, but I might. Now, the only investigator empowered to file indictments, by the way, against the perpetrators of the Russiagate hoax is conducting a far more thorough investigation than the House GOP probers ever expected. Now, Congressman Mark Meadows, Freedom Caucus, thank God for them, said that he's surprised by the lengths to which Durham is going to conduct his review of the origins of the Russia investigation. I've been telling you, pay attention, there might be a Durham report one day. And with little public knowledge, 
Uh, the congressman said that the prosecutor of Connecticut is doing a lot of work behind the scenes. Quote, I can tell you they're reaching people that I thought only I had talked to, and it's going to be a good day for America and a good day for justice. And he said he believes Barr and Horowitz are doing a good job, hopes for accountability, naming Fusion GPS co-founder Glenn Simpson, former officials James Comey, Andrew McCabe, and Strzok. If people do not go to jail, and this is all about just talking and rhetoric, and people are not held accountable, the American people will be disillusioned and say enough is enough. That I agree with. Now, the Justice Department has cleared the way if, in fact, they're going to indict Andrew McCabe. Now, I'm going to say last thing. I'm going to be consistent. I believe in the presumption of innocence. The report by the IG was beyond damning. But everybody deserves their day in court. I'm sorry. I'm not changing and I'm not going to be inconsistent. Now, by the way, we do have our friends at Judicial Watch. Oh, yeah. They got DOJ records that they didn't want to hand over through the Freedom of Information Act about the effort. Oh, within the Department of Justice and Rod Rosenstein to wear a wire. By the way, speaking of McCabe, McCabe says, oh, yeah, he meant every word of it. But they're trying to like in these back emails. Uh, all right. We're just going to say we were joking. Right. Right. We were joking. We we're joking. Well, that's not always the way it is. All right. Twenty five till the top of the hour. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. So another big win for the president. Supreme Court allows the Trump administration to enforce the toughest restrictions yet on asylum requests. Now, we've been telling you all along that the law says that if you pass through, not that that means anything to anybody, that if you pass through one country on your way to get asylum into the U.S., you first have to apply for asylum over there as you're passing through one country, two countries. And if they then don't grant you asylum or for any reason you're you're not granted, but you still want you can apply here. But America cannot absorb the world's population. I know everybody wants to come here. By the way, I had I, I really my heart goes out to people that want to come here. But the world is evil and the world is dangerous. And yesterday we had a reminder of how bad things can get and how bad things were 18 years ago yesterday. And what we're asking for is that you come here and you respect our laws and sovereignty and borders and that you follow the process and that we have a chance to vet you, make sure you don't have ties or a history of things that might bring harm to the American people and that you want to come here for all the right reasons to take advantage of the things we probably as Americans take for granted every day. But you have to do it legally. I don't think it's too much to ask. And I think also the condition that if you come here, well, you can come here, but it's very important that you be able to take care of yourself because Americans cannot afford to pay the criminal justice costs, the education costs, health care costs. We, we, that doesn't work. That's not going to work for anybody. Um, you know, this was interesting from real clear politics. I saw Democrats divide us by race. Trump expands the economic pie. That's the headline of this article by an opinion writer there. And I'm just looking at this. I'm saying, yeah, 86% of the new jobs in this country have gone to African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, and women in the workplace. And I know that every two, four years, you know my speech. You know, we get the same Republicans elected. You know, crosses are going to burn. It's like my father was killed all over again. 
They won't put you all back in chains and on and on and on. And to me, I think, you know, it's not good for the country to keep dividing the country this way. And I know it may be fashionable for Democrats to go out and attack Donald Trump and Republicans and every conservative is racist. Um, I don't know any conservatives that are racist and I don't want to know people that are racist and maybe claim to be conservative. If you know, you're associated with this insane, evil, frankly, white nationalism. I want who wants any part of those people. Don't don't listen. Don't watch. I want nothing to do with you. There's my answer. And then the same when you got on the other side, you got the Louis Farrakhan's or those that like them. Congresswoman Tlaib, uh, insane comments. Somebody did something to someone, Omar. You know, Israel is evil. May Allah awaken the world. And it's all about the Benjamins, baby. I, I, I can't stand this. You know, that that is a small percentage on either side or those that politicize. I mean, unfortunately, it's just the Democratic playbook that the race card is going to be played. You know, r- racist, sexist, homophobic, misogynist, xenophobic, Islamophobic. Dirty air water. You know, they want to destroy the planet. They want children to die. Granny, grandpa should eat dog food and cat food. That's what's going to happen if Republicans are elected. They'll be eating dog food. That's all they can afford. And then a Paul Ryan lookalike throwing granny over the cliff. Yeah, we're done with you, granny. Get lost. Not true. Just like everything else that I mentioned there is not true. But it's used for political purposes to bludgeon conservatives, Republicans. It is playbook 101. It's happening now, you know, racist, racist, et cetera, et cetera. It just goes on and on. This is what the Democratic Party does. This is who they are. Now, are they offering any ideas? I don't see them. You know, the funniest thing I think to come out of the, the there's a story that was on Yahoo about Democrats and how they face dozens of investigations by Republicans. Uh, but then we have other stories, uh, and I thought it was actually fairly humorous uh, that shows that, yeah, the, the Democrats secretly trained thousands of activists to manipulate the media and the Clinton library documents show that the DNC with the blessing of the Clinton white house, they launched the talk radio initiative ahead of the 96 campaign. The program trained thousands of operatives to call into radio shows, conduct surveillance of their contents and secretly disseminate democratic talking points while posing as ordinary listeners Volunteers must be able to keep the uh, project confidential so as not to create the image of the Democratic conspiracy to infiltrate Detroit area talk radio shows. This is what the guide said, prepared by Michigan Democrats. Democrats' performance in the 96 elections will no doubt be affected by the success or failure of this initiative. Radio hosts long suspected someone was training seminar callers. How long ago did Rush nail that? Seminar callers to inundate their shows with sympathetic callers. My buddy Lars Larson, guys like Joe Pags. Anyway, he's quoted in this and recall being on the receiving end of many of these calls, but was not aware that many of them were trained by the DNC. You get calls an hour apart, different people, different voices, different names, but they would talk the same lines so close that you knew this wasn't a coincidence. It was the same language on the same subject and the same arguments. Free Beacon, by the way, reviewed years worth of previous reporting 
on the scores of internal documents from the Clinton Presidential Library, including secret DNC communications and confidential state party documents and executive memorandums for the president that together shed light on the internal workings of this project. And what they found was the materials revealed that Democrats, this is systemic, systematically training more than 4,000 operatives in 23 states to lie about their identities, deflect difficult questions from hosts, and plant pro-democratic messages on the radio waves. If you're afraid that producers are beginning to recognize your name and are weary of allowing you on the air, use an alias. Just lie, in other words. Oh, that shouldn't shock anybody. Records revealed the Clinton administration consistently kept tabs and co- on and coordinated with the project, considering it a crucial pillar of the administration's plan to neutralize conservative radio in preparation for the 96 election. My office is now coordinating closely with talk radio and shops in the White House, federal departments, agencies, House, Senate. I have helped set up in the state parties, according to the director at the time. And it goes on from I mean, you get the idea. Harold Ickes, remember him, forwarded a memo to President Bill Clinton, Gore. Leon Panetta, several other White House insiders, one of several memos seen in this article, cited by it. And uh, Ickes didn't respond for comment about the initiative. Shocking. Democrats began conceptualizing this after Newt won in 94. Buoyed by support from popular radio hosts, capturing the House of Representatives. Listen, if we're so powerful, how did Obama win? You know, you have so much power on radio and TV. No, I, we make persuasive arguments, but people are going to be people. They're going to vote for themselves. You know, all these people that say, well, Donald Trump needs, you need to tell Donald Trump that Donald Trump's going to make up his own mind. He's the candidate, not me. So their strategy to beat Trump, yeah, got leaked. That got out too, which is pretty interesting. The NC research team has mined thousands of lawsuits from 50 states as part of a massive new trove on President Trump that will be weaponized through polls, reporters, and key battleground states. Axios writes. Oh, very interesting. In other words, this is now for this election. I'm bringing you up to speed here. Um, other details. A source familiar said the document will likely find its way to local reporters, groups, Democrats in battleground states, as Trump diverts funds from the military to pay for his border wall. The DNC has examples of what farmers and truckers say they feel about Trump's tariffs, the way he trashed American wheat and how the GOP tax law hurt truckers. They've combed through local articles, monitored local cable interviews with residents in states like Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Texas, to find these folks who are being hurt by Trump's policies. You know what this is, right? This is 1984. They've already filed thousands of Freedom of Information Act requests to get more information on the president. You know, they go over 20 Democratic operatives. They meet. They strategize. Tom Perez is asking campaign officials to define the president in the states he won. Not as not his bigotry or awfulness. One source said prosecute the case that he's bad at his job. He's hurting people in real ways. Well, the problem is the facts and the truth on that. Let's go to Youngstown, Ohio. We have everything he said, what he promised in 2016. Maybe it's that bridge that will be fixed. See, promises kept. Let's look. Judges, largest tax cut in history, biggest deregulation ever in history. Then we got trade deals, Canada, Mexico, Japan, Western European allies, NATO's paying more. 
He got the money for the wall. He did it without your help. Nancy Pelosi's mad she couldn't stop him. And yeah, he wiped out ISIS in Syria. But let's not. Well, I waste a lot of time on details. And he did it without sending in the troops on the ground, which is a bad idea. Now, we have establishment media outlets like the Washington Post disputing a study that linked President Trump's campaign rallies to a spike in hate crimes. Remember, this came up yesterday on fake news CNN. But they've yet to cover a second study that debunked the first one. Whoopsie daisy. Who would have done that? Wow. Anyway, this is in the Daily Caller. Done great work, the Daily Caller. They really come around. They're doing phenomenal work. First study, which three Texas University professors conducted, said counties that host the Trump rallies in 2016 saw a 226 percent spike in hate crimes compared to places that didn't host Trump rallies. Harvard University researchers found the political scientists had gotten it wrong when they tried to replicate the study. Study is wrong. Yet journalists ran with it anyway. Harvard researchers Matthew Lilly and Brian Wheaton wrote. In terms of, uh, they wrote it in Reason Magazine, a libertarian magazine. Establishment media outlets spread the first study's conclusions, but have largely ignored the second. Oh, why would they want to tell the truth? New York Post had a piece on fake news CNN today. Because Mike Pompeo this week called CNN's reporting materially inaccurate. Of course, they were chastised by the CIA. They're lying reporting there and then they coupled up with conspiracy tv ms nbc news and they went forward let's let's basically give the name and address of the guy that we had to extract from russia because of the media not because of trump unbelievable cnn was better off when it devoted round-the-clock coverage to missing planes black holes and human excrement overflowing on cruise ships now the network is just a series of embarrassments cnn blared the exclusive that the U.S. intelligence made the decision to extract a spy that had been working within Russian government, within the Russian government, because officials believed his cover was compromised by Trump repeatedly mishandling classified intelligence. Yeah, Jim Shudo. Oh, that he used to work for Obama. He's their chief national security correspondent. I'm Jim Shudo of Fake News CNN. Reporter. This is CNN. Yeah, everybody denied it. And then what they found out is actually the media caused that. And even the New York Times and Washington Post obliterated the CNN narrative. New York Times, it wasn't Trump, but the heightened media scrutiny on Russia following the 2016 election that caused the concern for the spy safety. Oh, the fake news media did it. But don't worry, you can turn on CNN on any Sunday and there's Humpty Dumpty. And you could have guests on that say, oh, you know, Trump has killed millions more than Mao. And Stalin and Hitler combined. And when he's actually asked about it, oh, I, I think my my IFB, that's the thing that we have in our ears on TV, which is the most annoying thing on the face of the earth. Uh, yeah, that's where he would have heard it. But, you know, I guess that's just OK. And then fake news. You know, you have Roswell, Rachel Maddow. I mean, it's unbelievable. Lies, hoaxes. Propaganda, misinformation, conspiracy theories, and they get away with it. They never apologize. They never correct. They never say they're wrong. They just go on to the next thing. You know, Russia, Russia, impeachment, impeachment, collusion, collusion. And, you know, it goes from that stormy, 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 stormy. 
Liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, then it's it goes from there. Racist, racist. Now we'll go back to all of them. That's what Jerry Nadler has planned. We're going to go after everything. It's going to it's going to be. Yeah, we're, we're starting impeachment proceedings on what? Well, on all of all of everything. Impeach. By the way, it isn't going to happen. Let me tell you what this is. This is to generate the base is passion. Let me tell you what they won't tell you. They're lying to even their liberal base. They're doing it as a show because those Democrats that have uh, are running in, in districts Donald Trump won, they're not going near this garbage because they know their careers will blow up if they do. So they're going to do their little show vote. They're going to have their little show hearings. And it's all a lie. And CNN and Conspiracy TV and Roswell Rachel, they all go nuts. Hey, we got them. We got them. And they'll have nothing again. But we're getting stuff. I wouldn't want to be Andrew McCabe today. We talked about um, why the president had insisted on firing the director and whether or not he was thinking about the Russia investigation and did that impact his decision. And in the context of that conversation, the deputy attorney general offered to wear a wire into the White House. He said, I never get searched when I go into the White House. I could easily wear a recording device. They wouldn't know it was there. Now, he was not joking. He was absolutely serious. And in fact, he brought it up in the next meeting we had. I never actually considered taking him up on the offer. Um, I did discuss it with my general counsel and my leadership team back at the FBI after he brought it up the first time. The point of Rosenstein wearing the wire into a meeting with the president was what? What did he hope to obtain? I can't characterize what Rod was thinking or what he was hoping at that moment. But the reason you would have someone wear a concealed recording device would be to collect evidence. And in this case, what was the true nature of the president's motivation in calling for the firing of Jim Comey? The general counsel of the FBI and the leadership team you spoke with said what about this idea? I think the general counsel had a heart attack. And when he got up off the floor, he said, I th I, that's a bridge too far. We're not there yet. That it wasn't necessary at that point in the investigation to escalate it to that level. That's correct. A discussion of the 25th Amendment was, was simply Rod raised the issue and discussed it with me in the context of thinking about how many other cabinet officials might support such an effort. Um, I didn't have much to contribute, to be perfectly honest, in that uh, conversation, so I listened to what he had to say. Um, but to be fair, it was an unbelievably stressful time. I can't even describe for you how many things must have been coursing through the deputy attorney general's mind at that point. So um, it was really something that he kind of threw out in a, in a very frenzied, um, chaotic conversation about where we were and what we needed to do next. What seemed to be coursing through the mind of the deputy attorney general was getting rid of the president of the United States. Well, one way or another, I can't confirm that. But what I can say is the deputy attorney general was definitely very concerned about the president, about his capacity and about his intent at that point in time.
That was Andrew McCabe on 60 Minutes. Now, what's fascinating about that, he's in the news in another way today, which we will get to in mere moments. But it's fascinating because, well, in light of what we have now discovered, again, thanks to Freedom of Information Act requests obtained by information obtained by Judicial Watch on the issue of Rosenstein wearing a wire, the issue of invoking the 25th Amendment. But that's him on 60 Minutes offering to wear a wire. And, And this is Andrew McCabe saying, oh, yeah, he was not joking. And Rosenstein raising the 25th Amendment in the context of how many cabinet officials would support the effort. Now, again, we go to Judicial Watch. What has Judicial Watch found? Oh, they finally got to the bottom of records. Now, they're highly redacted. We don't have all the information yet. They're working to get it unredacted. Uh, And the effort within the DOJ to craft a response to the reports on Rosenstein wearing the wire and, yes, invoking the 25th Amendment. Now, Rosen, oh, part of what they discovered is they're saying, oh, no, 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 we'll just say we were joking. We were kidding. We weren't serious. That wasn't ser- You don't think that's serious, do you? In other words, it seems like, reads to me like, one big CYA, this is what we're going to say when people ask us about this and they see this one day. Uh, joining us now, and well, let me get first get to the other news here, and this is big news, that the U.S. attorney, Jesse Liu, has recommended moving forward with charges against that voice you just heard, Andrew McCabe. And Fox News has learned that the Justice Department has rejected a last-ditch appeal from the former top FBI official, and that means that it's likely, and my sources tell me it is happening, that there is a grand jury that will determine whether or not to indict or not indict Andrew McCabe, the former deputy FBI director. You know, the same guy that said to General Flynn, oh, you don't need, don't worry, you don't, you don't need a lawyer. And then, of course, Comey bragging that he took advantage of the chaos in the Trump administration in the early days. And, oh, absolutely. I did something I'd never do under Obama or Bush. Uh, Yeah, I would have followed procedures then. Anyway, he is the, well, former acting director of the FBI, former deputy director of the FBI, appealing the decision of the U.S. attorney that has now been rejected. That means the potential charges related to the DOJ inspector general report, the first report, and the finding is against him regarding, yes, uh, misleading statements concerning a Hillary Clinton related investigation. That is very well happening. Now, a source close to McCabe's legal team said they received an email from the DOJ, which said the department has rejected your appeal of the United States Attorney's Office decision in this manner. Manner, any further increase should be directed to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Joining us now, this is a huge development on both fronts. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton and Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, are waiting the the now sequel in his his series now to his first best-selling book, number one best-selling book. This book is coming out. When is it coming out, Greg? Witch Hunt? October 8th comes out. You can pre-order it now. The story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. Tom, let's start with, and I'm not even getting into the Hillary emails part of this, which you have also broken. I mean, it's hard to keep up here, to be honest, but Let's get into the issue of the 25th Amendment and wearing a wire and Rod Rosenstein. And there you have Andrew McCabe saying, oh, no, he was serious. But these emails tell a very different story. I want you to explain in detail. 
Well, the um, you know we sued. You know, no one else seemed to be investigating it, so we sued for these coup discussion documents, and um, we waited. A, I think we began asking about it a year ago, so we finally got them, and they show that Rosenstein and the rest of uh, his colleagues at the Justice Department were responding immediately to inquiries about uh, the leaks about this uh, coup discussion, as I call it. And their response was interesting. Their response was not to deny it outright, but to suggest that, A, uh, that his discussion of the, uh, and they didn't highlight who actually said it was sarcastic, so no one's actually taking ownership here. But of course, they just gave it out as a Justice Department statement anonymously that the discussion about wearing a wire was, quote, sarcastic. Now, the discussion about the 25th Amendment is essentially confirmed in the documents. Uh, the initial draft of the document says that he had no personal, he had no dealings with the president, uh, suggesting that the 25th Amendment, uh, invoking the 25th Amendment would be appropriate. Then that's edited down to say he had no personal dealings with the president. And, you know, to me, that is a, a non-categorical denial, a non-denial denial. And uh, there's another key email where Rod Rosenstein writes uh, that he's hoped that they are, um, they hope that they're being successful and that reporters are having difficulty finding anybody to comment about things. Uh, you know, it, it all just confirms, and I, and I think McCabe's testimony or his, his, his information is presented, I think, on 60 Minutes, I heard, uh, seems pretty credible in light of this response. You. Well, I mean, what's happened like is that. what I said for a long time. Now, all these figures, you, you got Comey. He's at odds with Clapper and Brennan, although they all tried now. I think they're all beginning to try to unite. But the, to save themselves, they're all pointing at each other. And in this case, you got McCabe saying, no, Rod Rosenstein did this, this and this. It, it's predictable. Um, but I don't I think the emails will speak for themselves. Let me get Greg Jarrett's subjective opinion. You read the judicial uh, watch Freedom of Information Act request and what we got out of that. I believed that it was real. What did you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Rosenstein, through these documents we now see, working furiously to contain the fallout when the truth of what he had done uh, was broken in the news. At first, he tries to conceal it by shutting down any comments or confirmation. And then he issues a carefully crafted non-denial denial that was a clever misdirection and deflection. And at the same time, he then suggests through anonymous source that, you know, gee, I was merely being sarcastic. I interviewed the president uh, be, because Rosenstein had raced over to the White House, wanted to meet with the president. They eventually met on Air Force One. And here, you know, here's what the president told me about the meeting with Rosenstein. He said that Rosenstein gave him, you know, two separate stories, only one of which would be could be true. And the president, you know, concluded that, you know, he was lying. And and clearly Rosenstein lied to the president to save his job. Um, but, you know, Rosenstein's problem was it wasn't sarcastic because there were uh, two percipient witnesses and a secondary witness, all three of whom said he was absolutely sincere and serious about wearing a wire, recruiting cabinet members to overthrow the president of the United States. It's really uh, quite shocking. And then at the same time, in an act of retribution, he appoints a, a special counsel uh, in violation of federal regulations, and he gets called out on it. Jody Hunt, 
marches into, uh, who's Sessions' chief of staff, marches into Rosenstein's office, and Rosenstein is literally cowering, hiding behind and below his desk, and blubbers, am I going to get fired? And Hunt replied, what you did was despicable and unprofessional. All of this is recounted in my new book coming out. All right. So as we now see, do you sense from the legal from your legal perch on top being objective in this case that, in fact, this rejection by the DOJ today and the U.S. attorney recommending that they move forward with charges, the next step would have to be a grand jury. Absolutely. That is the next step. Um, They listened to the lawyers for Andrew McCabe. They didn't buy his explanation. He lied not once, but four times. And, you know, when you lie to the feds, uh, you know, you should be prosecuted. So the next step is take it to a grand jury, which under the law is the only way you can get a felony indictment. And, you know, the old saying, you can indict a hand sandwich with a, a grand jury is, is pretty much true. Whatever a prosecutor presents to a grand jury, if he wants an indictment, he gets it. What is your take so on question, a Tom Fitton? Yeah, so the question is, uh, you know, I think it will proceed as Greg suggests. Uh, the question is, and this is this is really the low-hanging fruit because he was lying, remember, about whether or not he told, uh, I think, the Wall Street Journal whether the FBI was investigating the Clinton Foundation. So this is not a charge on the coup plotting we're all concerned about or FISA. So if there's a charge here on this, quote, low-hanging fruit where he's admitted, essentially he's admitted to providing false information, and uh, so there's really no doubt he provided false information, Will he become a cooperator? You mean well? I on, mean, on the big on the big from, issue. Of from what I can see, don't you both think that somebody like Lisa Page is cooperating? Oh, I Based think on, she for, is. for example, when we started getting the closed door testimony. I'm like, okay, <laughs> these people are now turning on each other. You both agree with that, right? Yeah, yeah I mentioned no. the three witnesses no. uh, who confirmed this 25th Amendment plot by McCabe, and one of them is Lisa Page. The other one's James Baker. Uh, so, you know, this uh, this whole story is just beginning to unravel for the nefarious characters at the well, FBI. All right, as we continue, Tom uh, Fitton and, uh, ju- and from Judicial Watch, also Greg Jarrett, his new book is out soon, and it's called Witch Hunt, the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history, Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. All right, wrapping up, let's get predictions here. We're now waiting for the IG report on FISA abuse. Two questions, yes or no, short remarks. Will they say that the four FISA applications, that those warrants were illegally obtained, one, and number two, more immediately, uh, if you are McCabe, are you thinking next week I could be indicted? We'll start with uh, Tom. Well, I, I think the indictment of McCabe is likely whether it's an actual indictment as opposed to a plea deal in the end, I think is up in the air. I think the FISA warrants we already know are illegal based on the documents we've been able to obtain. Both the warrant applications have been partially released. The DOJ FBI documents showing uh, the three the communications with Bruce Orr and Fusion GPS showing they knew it was uh, suspicious and had no validity. So uh, the IG report is going to confirm the criminality behind the FISA gate uh, uh, scandal. The question is whether the DOJ will act on it. Greg Jarrett. 
The FISA warrant applications were based on a phony dossier. The FBI, McCabe, uh, Comey, uh, Rosenstein, they all knew that it was phony. They'd been warned not to trust Christopher Steele. Uh, And so they lied to a court repeatedly. And when they had even further evidence, they didn't go back to the court to correct the record. These are all felonies in my judgment, and those who signed off on the FISA applications uh, should face legal jeopardy and criminal prosecution. All right. Thank you both for being with us. Uh, Greg Jarrett, Tom Fitton. When we come back, Senator Tim Scott, South Carolina. Yeah, he's concerned about a lot of things, you know, the appeal of socialism. uh, And we'll get his thoughts on the campaign, Trump and much, much more straight ahead. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Congressional District talking to her supporters about democratic socialism. Is it any different from regular socialism? And who's going to pay for all this free stuff? Let's see what they have to say. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, just elected, 28 years old, uh, self-proclaimed democratic socialist, which has a lot of people talking. Uh, what are your views on her so far? Um, I mean, I've heard only positive things. We love her. Yeah, we do love her. We've, I voted for her because I'm from Queens. Uh, it was great. It's a breath of fresh air, and I hope it follows through into November. I like her spirit and um, that she's very different. People tend to freak out when they hear the word socialism like applied to anything. Um, why do you think that is? I think there's this old way of thinking about it. What do you think the government should be subsidizing? Um, so her platform includes um, free health care, college tuition, the minimum living wage, housing as a human right. Are those things that you think the government should be providing for people? Absolutely. Uh, are those things that you would support? Yes, it is. Are those all things that you would support the government subsidizing? 100%. I feel like everyone should have like um, free um, education and health care. How are we going to pay for those? Oh, God. I mean... Us. Us, I guess. Who, in your mind, should pay for all of the free things? All of the free things? Well, some of it should come from taxes, but the government should pay for it. But the government is funded by taxes. Yeah. I don't know where the money would come from, but they can figure it out. Okay. (laughs) More taxes on the rich people. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, they can afford it. Tax corporations, let's tax the 1% and find a way to support a living wage. There are so many of these countries out there that are employing a lot more socialism in their government and into their politics and they're doing really well so is venezuela doing that Ooh, i don't know too much about venezuela honey i think they need to i mean are, are they still communists right now so like there's technically socialists okay okay look at other countries it works like other countries you pay higher taxes but your government takes care of you so when you see the social system failing in venezuela does that concern you i mean yeah Obviously. (laughs) My family's Cuban and like I've seen the downfall of like extreme leftism, but also like I see how it like boosts the community and like it has its up and downs. And I think we can definitely learn from history on that terms. Our country needs change. And if it has to be on the opposite side, on the extreme polar opposite side, maybe it's what we need. Privatized health care is a huge issue. And if it was a government funded thing, that would be... You know, when there aren't. Do you think the government would run it more efficiently? In a perfect world, sure. I'm liberal. I don't know exactly like where I'd stand, but I know like democratic socialism is better than conservative. It's just better than. It's the better option. In what way? Um, I, when I think of it, I just think of like more open-minded people, people that aren't like as economically conserved. 
All right, that was from our friends at uh, Campus Reform. Glad you're with us. Uh, 24 now till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Uh, It's been a while since we had him on the program. I considered him since day one a good friend. I've I've gotten to meet him number a number of times. He's the he's the quieter senator from the great state of South Carolina, uh, but he's doing an amazing job and uh, a, a solid voice of conservatism, uh, and really polling extraordinary well in his state because he's very focused on the people of South Carolina, as any good politician should be. Focus on your constituents. Anyway, Senator Tim Scott is back with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Sean. Thanks for having me back. All right, I, I just need to ask. I mean, you know, you, we have to like pull teeth to get you on the program. All, <laughs> all we have to say is, Lindsay, what time? And it's that easy. Um, well, but you're, I, but but that's by design. You don't want to do a million interviews. Yeah, I have. I've, I've chosen to spend more time in South Carolina than I have on the national stage. But I watched you and Trey Gowdy. I saw that chemistry between the two guys. I said, by the way, how great that. was that? Well, here's the deal. So let me tell everybody the backstory. So. Jason Chaffetz, who left Congress, now works at Fox News. He's a friend and a colleague. I, I love him dearly. Uh, every time he would host for me, he'd have Trey Gowdy on. Every time we'd ask Trey Gowdy to come on when I was hosting, he wouldn't come on. Now, the reason he gave is, well, the studio is like two hours from my house. I'm like, well, if you can go for Jason, well, what's up with that? And I kind of did give him a hard time, didn't I? You gave him such a hard time <laughs> that when I spoke with Trey, he said, Tim, I love Sean Hannity. I'm going to prove it by going on his show so often that he gets tired of seeing my face. I'm like, well, at least he won't get tired of your haircut. No, nobody. Every time. It changes every time. I mean, it's so true. Uh, You know, when Trey Gowdy's on his game and he's being that prosecutor. Now, he was a, a prosecutor. I don't think he ever lost a single case that he tried, did he? Undefeated, and he, I think he had eight death row cases, and he was 8-0 and o, even during the death row cases. You can catch him on court TV where he's trying murder cases. He is absolutely quintessential when it comes to a prosecutor in a courtroom. We miss him in Congress. America gets to see him on your show. That's good news. Well, I got to tell you, no, he's a good guy. We're, we're living in pretty amazing times let me ask you overall, you, you know, we're now heading into a, a campaign season 2020. There's a lot at stake for me. This is about freedom versus yep. state run everything Absolutely. and the Green New Deal. It's anywhere between two trillion and 16 trillion that these candidates want to spend. Yes. Um, I think that the president, when it comes to tax cuts, when it comes to deregulation, when it comes to judges, when it comes to, yeah, he got the border wall money as he promised that he's building it and trade deals with uh, Japan and Canada, and Mexico and our Western European allies. NATO's paying more. He's battling it out with China now. Uh, ISIS in Syria is gone and we have record low unemployment for every demographic group in the country. Thank God. Because that's Absolutely. our family. We need to we need to be prosperous. But he seems to be just is this psychotic rage against him. How do you analyze that? Analyze the campaign and, you know, what your interactions with him are like? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, let me tell you the one of the more important stories of knowing the president as simply Donald Trump. Uh, my mother's birthday was in February. 
I, I talked to Mick Mulvaney and said, I'd love for the president to send my mother a little card. Mm -hmm. My mother's birthday, he picks up the telephone and calls her and has a 10-minute conversation on her birthday. And if you were in the car looking at her face, you would not believe, A, <laughs> she was talking to the president of the United States, and B, that he took the time, took the time to just give her a call because he knew it was important to me. And I, all I asked for was a letter. And so that tells you who he is as a person. If you want to see what he's doing as the president of the United States, it is impossible, absolutely unequivocally impossible to argue with his results economically. Let me give you a couple important facts. African-American unemployment is the lowest it's ever been in the history of the country, but it's never been under 6%. Today, it's at 5.5%. Hispanic unemployment, 4.2%. Asian unemployment, under 3%. America's unemployment, 3.7%. But more important than the unemployment rate is the pace of increase of wages for the poorest Americans. The bottom 20% has seen a 5% increase in their salaries, according to the BEA. And that means that the poorest people are twice the rate of inflation because the Trump economy continues to blow the statistics away, blow the expectations away. And not only is he growing your wages on the right, but on the other side, because of tax reform, we cut the single mother's taxes by 73%. So they're paying less in taxes, making more money, which means that the average family struggling to make their ends meet, they don't need two jobs, as some on the left have suggested. I'm not Do sure. Did you, do you know, Senator, that 86% of the jobs created have gone to uh, African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women in the workforce? 86% 86, 86 of all these new jobs, the nearly 7 million new jobs, we have 6.2 million Americans off of food stamps and millions more out of poverty. Here's my question, though. Sure. I look at these big cities run by liberals for decade after decade after decade. Now, liberals claim they have a compassion, a monopoly of compassion on minorities. I was you have no idea how angry and resentful I am at the use of the race card. I play it, the history of it a lot on radio and TV. It is wrong. It divides us. We are one nation. And I look at a city like Baltimore. They have 13 high schools. Senator, 13, not a single kid proficient in math or reading, not one. Look at what's happening in Chicago. Decades of Democratic rule. Look at San Francisco, a mile away from Nancy Pelosi's house. Look at Los Angeles. You know, all these cities, all these promises that they're going to do everything for everybody. Then you get Donald Trump and look at the jobs created. Look at the opportunities created. And then they want to call them racist. And then they want to say, oh, Republicans uh, hate minorities. No, we don't. No, no conservative friend of mine can ever be a friend of mine if they hate anybody. And that's why I love you, Sean, because you're the man. Let me let me just put some meat on the bones that you just described, by the way. President Trump and my By the way, meat on the bones, that has nothing to do with South Carolina and the fact that they have some of the best barbecue ever. I listen, well, I'm with you. We are the creators of barbecue <laughs> and sweet tea, according to our history, by the way. My but pork ribs. Go ahead. <laughs> I hope you're a guy that likes the Carolina red and not that mustard. Anyways, uh, the facts are simple, that when you look at President Trump's accomplishments in the inner cities and in places that are distressed, whether it's rural America or inner city America, the opportunity zones that he and I worked on together, the property values in those areas are up by 20%. The facts are that the employment opportunities have had an 8% increase, and that means that the kids who are 
looking for a job in their own neighborhoods now, they have a chance to have more jobs and higher wages because President Trump did not want an uneven recovery in this economy. He wanted to make sure that we had an economic recovery with no one left out. And so we included in the tax reform opportunity zones that are today bringing $30 billion, not from the government, but from job creators in the private sector to be deployed in the poorest, distressed communities where the average poverty rate is 27%. The president has not only done that, but the first time in the history of Congress, we saw the historically black colleges and universities, their presidents and chancellors come to Washington, D.C., was under this administration when the two of us invited them to have a conversation about how to improve the output from those schools. The president had them at the White House. The first time we saw sickle cell anemia, that is a, a, a disease, a rare blood disease impacting almost exclusively African-Americans, passed so they will have more research under President Donald Trump. The first time we had a chance to see the economic recovery percolate in places where we haven't even had a conversation, President Trump. When we look at the disaster recoveries, it's President Trump that is helping to lead the way. So well, his you know, prospects are stronger than they've ever been, in my opinion. I'm going to have to commandeer you and Gowdy and take you both to uh, Hall Steakhouse in South Carolina, which is like the best place in the world. Count me in. Tommy Hall's a good man. Yeah, he is. All right. As we continue, Senator Tim Scott is with us from uh, South Carolina. You know, I'm listening to you, Senator, and I'm thinking, all right, now Zogby with all of these improvements, Zogby is now saying, well, the president has gone up 20 percentage points in his latest poll among African-Americans, Hispanic Americans. And, and look, I don't believe in identity politics. We're all Americans. Yep. But if you look at those numbers, it's dramatic. It's if he got 15 percent, not 20, it would be a game changer in the country. Absolutely. I proposed this on air and I want to see if you're interested in this idea. You remember the president did this Woolman Rink project? Yes. What do you think about Woolman Rink, Trump Woolman Rink, Baltimore? Maybe the president fix one, you know, takes one small part of a community, four, five, six, seven blocks, whatever it is, and he says, "Okay, I'm getting rid of the rats and the and the mice and the vermin. I'm going to bulldoze these houses that are uninhabitable, seventeen thousand of them, uh, but in, on these streets, and then then we're going to rebuild." the city and then we're going to create ownership opportunities for the people that that are there and we're going to create work opportunities as we build out these blocks and uh we're going to do it with a a public private partnership and we're going to rebuild parts of baltimore if we can do it then challenge every liberal city to do the same do you like that i love the idea and as a matter of fact one of the things that i, I love about what president trump has done recently is he has put together with uh, Ben Carson being the chairman of the committee, 13 different federal agencies to identify ways to synergize their resources to be deployed in places that you just described. And so we should challenge the cities around this nation, the major metropolitan cities, to embrace a new concept of allowing private sector and public-private partnerships to work together for the benefit of their citizens and to include the, the, the education component, because what you just described earlier is to reinforce the fact that without 
good, solid education, which requires school choice and charter public schools to be a part of the apparatus, we can't make long-term change. But that is a challenge we should issue around the country. President Trump should choose a place for us to start, and let's prove that conservative policies work everywhere. They worked for me when I was one of the kids that we're talking about. They even work better today than they have in, wow. in the last 50 years. I think we got to make this a goal. And uh, uh, Senator, thank you. Look forward to it. Tim Scott, South Carolina, 800-941-SEAN is our number. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. Uh, Mr. Homan, uh, as a fellow American, I just want you to know your contribution as acting director of ICE under this administration will always be remembered as one that was very ruthless and inhumane treatment of asylum seekers. As the author of the separation policy and now of this sick, you know, preventing people, sick children before this committee, uh, seeking life-saving medical treatment. I will continue always, this is probably the third time I think you before this, this chamber, that I'm deeply troubled by your opening statement and continued assault on innocent lives. And I ask that this administration please stop playing politics with the lives of the children before this committee, but also with the lives of many Americans that are directly impacted by the continued broken immigration system in the our country. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want to address the last comments made about me being appalling. And, and, and first of all, I served my country for 34 years. I saved many lives and I ran an agency. Let's be frank in what ICE does. I, ICE last year took a, a season of op- opioids off the streets of this country that could have killed every man, woman, and child in the United States twice. They've arrested thousands of sexual predators that, that preyed on children. They rescued thousands of children who are, who are victims of, of predators. They arrested hundreds of women who are victims of sex trafficking. I am proud of the agency in ICE. And what we don't want to talk about is nearly 90% of everybody ICE arrests for immigration violations either have a criminal history or are pending criminal charges when they were found. I mean, they were found in a county jail, which most likely means they weren't a choir boy. So to, to mismeasures, what the, the work the men and women of ICE do is I find appalling that a member of Congress would, would, would throw that out there like that. Chair, I, now, it, in my 34 years, I've never seen such expired. hate toward a law enforcement agency in my life that you want to abolish Mr. them Holman, rather doing your job and Mr. legislate. Holman, your if they don't like expired. it, legislate. You cannot. If, I, Mr. I Holman, according to the rules of this committee. Of enacting laws. Mr. Holman, who, who your time is expired. The chair now recognizes Ms. Hill. If I can respond to the earlier remark from uh, Washington Schultz, I forgot more about this issue than you ever know. So if you say my testimony is inaccurate, it's wrong. Everything I said here is accurate. Bottom line, if you want to go toe-to-toe, I'm here. I'm here in my own time to speak to the American people about what's false I'm sure what's happy fact. to go toe-to-toe with you, Mr. Homan. Well, I'm, I'm here. any day. But you got to let me respond to your question rather than I dropping a bomb and running away. All right, there you have, uh, oh yeah, Congresswoman Tlaib is back telling the former ICE Director Homan, a guy that has served this country, protect and serve this country, uh, that you'll be remembered for being ruthless and inhumane. Well, he didn't pass the laws of this country, number one. And number two, we've sent Griff Jenkins down, uh, Congresswoman Tlaib. And, you know, the comparisons the squad makes to detention centers being, oh, let's see, like Nazi concentration camps. Uh, If you want to talk about who's going to ever be believed for what, well, I'm kind of looking at, you know, your associations with, let's say, oh, Louis Farrakhan, the virulent racist and anti-Semite 
you know, as being ruthless and inhumane. And why would you ever support such a person? Uh, Tom Homan defending himself, telling AOC that I've never seen such hate towards law enforcement and an agency in my life. Good for him. And telling Debbie Wasserman Schultz he's forgotten more than she'll ever know about immigration. That's a fact, too. Anyway, here to battle this out in the latest in 2020, Jonathan Gillum and Danielle McLaughlin. Thank you both for being with us. Uh, Danielle McLaughlin, uh, who knows more about the reality of the borders than, let's see, if you look at the detention centers, when we set, sent Griff Jenkins down, they have a soccer field, they have rec facilities, they have televisions, they have telephones, they've got beds, blankets, pillows, they've got, uh, let's see, other accommodations, they got showers, hot and running cold water and, and privacy, and they also have, oh, let's see, Oh, baby formula and diapers and doctors on staff to take care of any one of the people that are being detained because they entered this country illegally. Do you in any way see that as a anything comparable to a Nazi concentration camp? No, I mean, I actually really reject the notion that you should be using uh, words like Nazi and Hitler when we're talking about what is happening. That's not to say that what is happening at our southern border is particularly, I think, in, in line with the values of the American people. We are separating children from their mothers and fathers in a way that we've never done. And as a parent, I cannot imagine my 10-month-old being taken from me because I cross a border illegally in search of a better life. I know what they're doing is illegal, but this administration is criminalizing... Excuse me. Wait a minute. This administration, excuse me, is is obeying the laws of the land. And the president legally now is building the wall because he changed tactics and he won. And now the Supreme Court is allowing President Trump's asylum restrictions to take effect, which ended the Ninth Circuit injunctions. The president now has slowly but surely chipped away at enforcing the laws of the land. And we had the court decision last week, Jonathan, and that court decision basically saying, yeah, if you go to these other countries uh, first, you can't apply for asylum here unless you applied for asylum there, which has always been the law of the land. That's called effective solutions guiding your policy, Sean. Daniel, you and the left got to realize that policy cannot dictate what's effective. What's effective has to dictate policy. And I can guarantee you, Danielle, if you're with your children, and I know you would never do this, but if you're with your children and you commit a crime, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be separated from your children and you're going to be arrested and they're going to find somebody to watch your kids for you, right? Or there'll be a, there'll be a, a issue to the state until they figure it out. It's the same exact thing. What's the difference in somebody coming across the border where they have known pedophiles, uh, human smugglers, women carrying babies across that don't belong to them just so they can get across. And sometimes those babies are actually being smuggled. Those children are being smuggled for sex trafficking. So this whole nonsense about moms being separated from their babies is ridiculous because the very nature of what's happening down there says that you must, from an ethical standpoint and a law enforcement protection standpoint, separate these people from these children until you figure it out. And I'll tell you one thing about that soundbite. That was one of the most inspirational soundbites from the former director and one of the most insulting soundbites by AOC. And you know, the truth is, you know what what separates AOC from Antifa? About 16,000 votes. That's it. Her, Her whole platform 
is the same as those terrorists. And this guy comes up there with 34 years of experience, and they drop soundbite bombs on him, and then they don't let him respond. I, I applaud him for what he did. They should be given no respect. Danielle? Well, you know, I do agree that ICE performs a number of very important functions. Um, we heard from the soundbite the notion of uh, fentanyl and opioids and all sorts of illegal drugs. So I will grant that, of course, um, immigration and customs enforcement does a very important work. I just work told you important things about babies. I just told you important no, things about babies. No, I'm That's responding important. to that. You seem to think that there is no difference between me speeding or, I don't know, selling drugs and going to prison and these people who are crossing the border with their children. Here is the difference. Under U.S. law, you can seek asylum in this country. It does not matter whether you cross legally or illegally. Maybe you want to change that, but that law still has to be changed. These people who cross the border are able, under our law, for to economic reasons. asylum. They can seek it. They might not get it, but they can seek it. Their children are being taken from them. ICE is not Danielle, trusting these children. They are children. losing their children. They, do you, you don't know do you that. Do you, we do know that. There have been children who have been listen, adopted they're because not they've being, been separated the children, from their parents. The children aren't being taken from them. They're being separated while the process plays out. You want to show Some up to this are country. Gone forever. There are instances, one in San Diego, a woman lost her children. The child was taken from her. The child was adopted out. The child was adopted out. Is this who we are? Is this who we are? This is not who we are. I know we have to have borders. We don't know. What is the rest of the story? I don't know the story. What's the rest of the story? Was she a felon? Did she go to jail? What happened? No. No. Do we know the rest of the story? We know from from reporting that ICE and the folks at the border are not tracking the children. Until and I from, see an and from ICE, lawyers, and from lawyers, down there, and from lawyers no, who are going until, down there, representing people in asylum hearings, and they are, we have reporting from the ground. This is happening. This is not. These are not facts that are in dispute. I agree with you listen, that we need borders, need but this a, is not the way. I to need do to see it. a government. I need to see a government document before I could ever trust anything. You can't trust anything. A report coming from a leftist attorney down there. You can't trust that. How could you trust why, that? Why? 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 So somebody who goes down, uh, does pro bono work uh, for a child who is unrepresented is automatically a leftist. You have no idea of their political ideology. They're going down there to represent people because it's the right thing to do because these people need help. I agree there are drug mules. I agree that there are gangs. I don't disagree with you on the real threat that there is at the border. Why are we not prosecuting and going after visa overstayers? Nearly a million. Nearly a million a year. There's something going on at the border, and it's inhumane. I've gone after those people, but these those are the people that secrete themselves into society, and you got to go find them. It's not like you just say, all right, let's go get all the drug dealers. All right, let's call them up, and they're going to come here. That's not the way it works. These people, though, do show up at the border. They play their games, and, and then the other part of this we're not even talking about are these people that are helping them get here, and then they get their children taken away because some of these people, I would guarantee it, don't even know what's going to happen to them when they get here. They're being paid to be here, shipped to be here, and they get here, and then they have to go through the process. 
And that's the way the process unfolds for our protection and for those kids' protection and for their protection. There are other ways of doing this. There are other ways of doing this. So one example, and I've How? talked about this on the Sorry. show before. So there were pilot programs during the Obama administration. So in, 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 in fairness, there were some separations under the Obama administration where there was a determination made that the children were being threatened. There was a threat to the children. For example, there was one instance where their father crossed the border with drugs. Or there's some sort of prior criminal conviction where that person, that parent, actually already has issues with the U.S. legal system. So there were some separations on a very small scale. But now everybody, every family is getting separated. That's not the way to do it. Obama, Sarah, there was a, can I finish this? Just let me finish this piece about the program. They were community-based programs where Parents, mothers, fathers, children were kept together. The rate of those people showing up to immigration court was in the high 90s. It worked. It was a small scale, but it worked. It was community-based. There was support in the community. And if these people didn't get asylum, they were obviously sent back to where they came from. But what we're doing is inhumane. There are women who are breastfeeding whose children are being taken. We need borders. I know we need borders, but this is not the way to do it. So here's, here's the pushback I'll give you on that. I credit you because you care, and I know you care. But the policies that are set in place are set in place because of years of experience of children, you know, coming up there, being so, uh, sex trafficked for people that are trying to come over there. They're playing the games against uh, the United States and ICE, and, and that's where these policies come from, right? But I get what you're saying, but here's the thing. You and I sit down, we might be able to figure out a better way of doing it because of my experience and your heart. But I can guarantee you that the people like AOC and Tlaib and these people up in D.C., they have no interest in figuring this out, no interest at all. And they prove that every time they go up there and they disrespect these people in public and they don't seek a way to fix it. They go and they grandstand for their own ideological reasons. You know, and I don't disagree that there is an enormous amount of politicking going on on both sides. And we have not been able to get under Obama, under Trump. Show me where the right has Bush, we ha- this. Well, why have we not had bipartisan immigration reform? We've never been able to do it because there are some things that the right won't budge on and there are some things that the left won't budge on. I think most Americans want some kind of a solution. They want clarity. They want to know what are the rules. They want a way of supporting the people who are not meant to be here. And they want to understand, for example, the children who were born here, whether there's a way that they can somehow get some legal status. But if the right budges, here's the problem. Here's the problem. If the right budges an inch on anything, the left takes a mile and they do it for their own benefit, not for the benefit of those children, not for the benefit of safety of those officers. That's the problem. There is no middle road when it comes to the left. And so what happens is people on the right don't want to budge. They don't want to work to figure this out. And the fact, the, really the fact is, it's not as bad as it's been inflamed to be. The whole gist of this is that those people wouldn't be coming here if they weren't assisted in coming here. I worked as a SEAL in Central South America. You don't just travel up six countries or five countries through some of the most dangerous territory in the world on your own in two weeks. You just don't do that. Those people have nothing. They're being paid and shipped to get there to cause the problem. So here's my experience. Here's my experience. So I respect your experience enormously, and I fully respect what it is that you've seen. This is what I've seen. I have represented children who have come across the border, uh, have been sent across the border, places like Honduras. They've been trafficked. They've had mules. They've been kidnapped. All sorts of terrible, terrible. Daniel, you just admit you ignored the problem that I'm saying. The problem. 
So, okay, so some of these people are families. Some of them are their children. Okay, that I get it. How did they get here? They got here because people are making it available for them to move rapidly through those countries to get here, and that is causing a problem. That in of itself is undermining our own national security, and it's being done by people that are American citizens. All right, we're going to have to let it go here. Uh, Danielle, Jonathan, thank you both. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number 25 now to the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. You know, we... um, it's a very it's it's a, just such a divided time in the world. And what we have is you see it in Europe, you see it here in the United States, you see it abroad. You know, I, I I'm thinking a lot yesterday. I spent a lot of time yesterday. Nat Geo had the single best. I mean, they really did coverage of 9-11. I mean, and they were showing it all day long. And I literally was watching one show after another. And there are a few of us that understand the urgency in terms of battling back against radical Islamists. Why? Because it's dangerous for the entire world. We got to get this right. We really do. And then you see the the battle. It's basically coming down in 2020 in America to freedom versus socialism, socialism versus freedom. And that's it. Now, prior to this president being elected, we had a, a pretty hostile Israeli president in Barack Obama. Remember Barack Obama? Yeah, he would be the guy that was actually sending his campaign team over to help Prime Minister Netanyahu's opponent. Now, I know we were were supposed to be against election interference. Well, that wasn't the case. I didn't hear any outrage from anybody in the corrupt media in this country about what was going on there. Well, certainly, listen, if you think media is, you know, a mob here in this country, oh, it's worse in Israel. Now, the thing is, is they have literally been the only democracy in the region. And you look at this this tiny, tiny bit of historic land and what Israel has to do every single day to defend itself. You see these kids that serve in the IDF. What do they serve, Linda? Two and a half years. A lot of the kids that we met when we were over there. It's mandatory. Mandatory. And I will tell you that, in my opinion, and I'm not. Listen, I have kids myself of that age. They're just tougher. Because the reality is they've grown up with rockets being fired, you know, constantly into their towns and cities. Told you about Sarot, the one city on the Gaza border. You know, the night before we got there. Yeah. What happened? Oh, yeah. A kibbutz was hit with a rocket. You saw the the the, the shrapnel, the metal, the glass, everything to, to murder and destroy after the explosion. And when we went to the local police department in Sarot, what do we see? We saw 10,000 rockets have been fired in 10 years. We saw all the variations of rockets and how much bigger and more sophisticated they've gotten over the years. It's actually scary. And then we went to the underground playgrounds in uh, Sterot because the kids can't play outdoors because those playgrounds underground are bomb shelters. Because if they're playing outside, there's not enough time. It's too close in proximity. And we actually showed the distance. You can actually see Gaza. And the population where the rockets are being fired from, often from hospitals and schools to sort of stop Israel from having any opportunity to fight back because Israel is going to fight fair and and tries to minimize uh, collateral damage in conflicts like this. So we're all there. We're doing this. And that's the trip. I believe we saw the tunnels. The United States gives all this money to uh, Palestinians and Israel does, too. And what do they do? Instead of building schools and hospitals, they take Israeli cement, Israeli electricity. 
that's supposed to be used for people that they say are suffering every day. You know, we've shown you the indoctrination of these kids from a very young age, and they use that. And what do they use it for? To build tunnels 50 feet underground, 60 feet underground, so that they can come out in the middle of the night, kill Israelis, and then go back in the other direction with like a little railway system underneath. I was in them. I went down inside the tunnels. I saw them. Now, for the first time, all these years, now the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history. And since 1948, now this historically has always been Israeli territory. There's no ambiguity at all about that question. Anyone that tells you it is, usually you're hearing from an anti-Semite. And so since 1948, UN partition plan, supposed to resolve all, con they were Ben-Gurion, the prime minister, the first prime minister of modern Israel, well, then they were attacked the next day after he reached out his hand in good neighborliness. That's an exact phrase. Then we have the 67 war. Then we have a 73 war. Then you can look at Sterot and see all the rockets fired. Now, thank God they have the Iron Dome, which makes my case about the next generation of weaponry that the United States needs to create. Because we don't have the political stomach post-Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. We're gonna send, we can't send American kids, our treasure, into war any longer, ever again to be banging on door after door after door and getting slaughtered only to have the war politicized back in Washington and then say after a couple of years, you know what, never mind. Because that's what they do. That's what politicians do. Happened in Vietnam, happened again. So I want the next generation of weaponry. Now, we, we started with Reagan and strategic defense, and he was mocked. Well, the Iron Dome in Israel is strategic defense, and it's taken all these missiles out of the air. It works. And we partnered with Israel to do that. We made that happen. Reagan's vision that was mocked works. Now we need a more sophisticated, updated generation of the Iron Dome, and we're capable of all of that. Now the president, thankfully, is investing a lot of money in our Defense Department because that next generation of weaponry is going to allow us to do like what we did in Syria. Bush 43 began the use of these drones, and they were, oh, highly successful. That's just, this is just the infancy of everything. And then, of course, you know, we can build offensive and defensive weapons. You have, always have to, you have a sword, you got to build a shield. So while we're building the offensive weapon, let's build the defensive weapon simultaneously. So any future wars will not entail American kids being sent abroad to go fight, have, you know, either get killed or be permanently disfigured or lose their legs and arms and then have a politician in Washington say, no, thanks. Pushing back ISIS in Syria, we learned how to do it very well. Now we got to take it to the next level and then the next level because 100 million souls were lost in the last century. And we can't let that happen again. And the Iranians are evil. The Iranians have said they want to wipe Israel off the map. They want to wipe the United States off the map. And the idea of bribing dictators in Iran and mullahs in Iran is not appealing. So I say this in light of the elections that are coming up. And I'm kind of, well, I, I should be, sh I shouldn't be shocked, but I kind of am shocked because I just am like, wow, if this was prime minister Netanyahu that may have been compromised by Iran in a major way, it would be huge news. By the way, I have Reuters, Reuters reporting on this. You know, this is going back a while, but it talks about Israel's security service suspects, in other words, like their CIA, Iran of hacking the mobile phone of Prime Minister Netanyahu's opponent, Benny Gantz. Gantz is his name. Now, okay, now I'm thinking about this. What? Yeah. And look, what I'm saying is apparently my sources, and I have a lot of good sources and friends in Israel, 
you know, uh, backtrack one second. Now that Prime Minister Netanyahu has been in place, he is for now the longest period. He is the sole voice of moral clarity until Donald Trump came on board. And look what this alliance has done. Jerusalem is now the capital. So many presidents promised couldn't, wouldn't deliver. Golan, yeah, because of the relationship with the prime minister and our president, yeah, recognized the sovereignty of Golan. It's Israel's. Always was, always should be. And now Prime Minister Netanyahu, because of one rogue, you know, extra party person, because they have this coalition government that they have to cobble together after each election and all these varying factions and smaller parties, which I think the system is insane, but it's their system, parliamentary system. I get it. And I hope people that if you know, if you vote in Israel, I hope you vote for Likud. So Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and President Trump can keep doing what they're doing anyway. So this guy Gantz is the former chief of Israel's armed services back in 2014. And anyway, Channel 12, which is in Israel, did a report adding that, yeah, the intelligence services in Israel believe Iranian state intelligence had accessed Prime Minister Netanyahu, Mr. Gantz's personal information and correspondences. Now, I'm told it's pretty widespread knowledge what this is all about in Israel. But apparently the, this went on for a long period of time and that the intelligence services think that they've, they've got all this compromising material on this guy that is trying to be prime minister. And I'm thinking, uh, how is he ever going to be able to govern with that hanging over his head? And why is this not a bigger story? Now, granted, I have the I, I have the stories here in front of me. Channel 12 in Israel and Reuters. And here's a New York Times headline. Gantz Netanyahu's challenger faces lurid questions after Iran is hacked. Benny Gantz, Israel's former. This is, by the way, March 15th. Uh, of this year campaigning to lead the country is uh, as the clean moral alternative to Prime Minister Netanyahu faces indictment in a corruption scandal that's gone now. But less than a month before the election, Mr. Gantz found himself fielding seamy sounding questions late Friday about whether he would committed adultery, opened up to possible extortion, sandbagged his political allies to advance his own career. Anyway, this was you know based on the report that first appeared in Israeli television. But then they point out that Israeli television said that Gantz's cell phone was hacked by Iranian intelligence after his entry into politics in December. And all of this apparently compromising personal and professional information is stolen by the Iranians. Now, why is that question not asked every single day of Mr. Gantz? He retired from the military after this last battle in, in 2014. You know, so the issue is not whether classified information might be in enemy hands, but again, I'm reading from the Times that he could be vulnerable to blackmail if elected. And the hack threatened to set back his bid, which polls have shown as that he has a chance against Netanyahu, which he lost in the last election. And rumors flying about what might have been harvested from his cell phone. His party issued a statement saying the stolen data included no security information, embarrassing videos, and he was never the target of blackmail. Well, that didn't actually put a lid on it. Gantz actually, with his campaign, they tried never to talk about this. And the liberal media mob in Israel is like the liberal media mob here. You know, conservatism works there and it works here. The prime minister's done a phenomenal job with the economy and with security. And his relationship with President Trump has never been better. Our alliance has never been stronger as it should be. Anyway, so he, he hastily calls a news conference and his backdrop is a 
there's a wave of Israeli airstrikes hit the day before they wrote this article and Hamas rockets in Tel Aviv for the first time since that war in 2014. And Gantz, who was the chief of staff of the army at the time, tried to shame the press. And he said, we are here in a story of an ongoing security event. And in reality, we are in some suddenly broke some political gossipy, completely delusional story. And then he said that he was asked if there might be embarrassing or compromising materials that the Iranians got. I'm not going to stoop to that place, calling it unethical noisiness. Did he ever have a relationship with somebody that could be the basis for extortion? I'm not subject to extortion. Now, it's pretty well believed from at least the people I've talked to in Israel. Oh, my gosh, this is like a slam dunk thing. I mean, the question is, Linda, do you know what I'm saying here? How is it that the media in Israel is like the media here? All they want is the most liberal candidate. I mean, is Israel really going to give up on you have this one figure on the world stage, Prime Minister Netanyahu, the Winston Churchill, a Churchillian figure who has literally single handedly had the moral clarity against radical Islamists. Now he's got a partner in the White House. Now Jerusalem is the capital. And now Golan is recognized as Israel's sovereign territory. And we've never gotten along any better. And we're even creating new alliances against Iranian hegemony, which I talk about so often, which, you know, we've got if we can thread this needle, you got the U.S., Israel, Egypt, Jordan, even the Saudis and the Emirates getting together. They're all standing against one thing, Iranian hegemony. And if it was Prime Minister Netanyahu in this position, oh, now Gantz was informed of the hacking, by the way, by the Israeli intelligence services. And how this isn't a big story, when I've heard this, I said, this can't be true. It's true. Linda, you following this? Because you like to, you know, you follow this with me. Listen, I love the prime minister and uh, I'm proud to be a Shiksa in support of our ally in the Middle East. I think it's an absolute crime the way he's being treated. Can you believe if that they had that information on Prime Minister Netanyahu, they would be pounding it? I'll forget Every about it. second minute hour of every day. And they're not. Obama and his ilk from V15 never got over the fact that they didn't get him the first round. And so they're doing everything that they can to be as liberal as possible to hurt somebody who wants to stand for what's right for Judeo-Christian values. It would I mean, be. Forget about it. It's just a hot mess. An unparalleled disaster. God forbid if this guy won. Tragedy in our time. Seriously. All right. 800-941-SEAN is our number. We got to take a quick. I'm going to have more on this on TV tonight. This bothers me. All right. That's going to wrap things up for today. All right. We are loaded up tonight. Will the former FBI deputy director, interim director, Andrew McCabe, is he on a path towards indictment? Jay Sekulow, Joe DeGeneva, Victoria Tunsing, Mark Meadows, Geraldo, Dan Bongino, and more. All right, we've got it all covered, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel, news you will not get from the media mob. See you tonight at 9. Thank you for being with us back here tomorrow.